benefits of living in the Pacific Northwest is that it's very beautiful. And we're very close to nature. There's trees, there's water, uh, there's rain, there's lake, there's ocean. You want it, you have it. There's snow. And in the Pacific Northwest, you can catch sight of our country's um, bird, which is a bald eagle, right? <laughs> Um, and a bald eagle, so if you've ever seen uh, a bald eagle hunting fish, I've had the opportunity to see a bald eagle hunting fish, and um, it's a sight to behold. You're out there fishing, and I mean, I'm just sitting there with my pole, just hoping some sort of fish comes and get it. I'm like, oh, how do I get a fish? And here comes the enormity of the bald eagle. Its wings are huge. There's power in its talons. The precision eyesight, the speed and accuracy as it dives down and grasps a salmon. Grasping a fish in its own domain in the water. And salmon, right, or trout even, they aren't weak creatures, right? Salmon are mighty fish. They swim up stream, they swim up rivers to spawn, right? They jump great heights. So they're strong, but the eagle, once the salmon is in its talons, the salmon can be like that. But it's not getting away, right? The eagle has it. And when I think about this, I think about how do you hit a moving target, right? How do you capture something that itself is in, is in motion, and itself moves very swiftly, as swift as lightning. There's an element of anticipation, right? You can't dive or shoot or leap or grab for the point where you, your desired object is. You have to anticipate where it's going to be and then strike. Right? If I were an eagle, oh, there's a fish, and dive for where it is. I'm missing. Right? You have to anticipate where it's going to be because that object, that prey, that fish is in motion. When we approach things like Jesus' death, Jesus' suffering on the cross, Jesus' resurrection, we approach things like it's stagnant, right? We approach the resurrection like it's something to be defended, right? Like it's this thing that I have to prove. And a lot of us, I could sit here in this sermon and say, the resurrection is real. Let me prove it to you. And it becomes a negotiation of facts. It becomes me trying to argue that the resurrection is real, right? And I'm not going to do that today because the resurrection is so much more than that. The resurrection is a dynamic relationship. It's God saying, wait a second, death has no hold on my people, Death has no hold on humanity, right? I'm alive and I've beat death, right? And I want to be in relationship with you today. Because I died, we get to be together, right? We get to be together and I'm calling your name. I know you. I've known you since you were born. I've known every part of you. The deep down recesses of your heart. The tombs of your heart, if you will. I know you, I know you, and I know you. And yet we cling as if um, 
this thing, we hold on to the fish that was there in the water, not where it's going, and we clean. I saw it. I saw the fish right there. That was my target. Where is it? And even though that thing has moved on, we're like, ah, I want it. We're going in the water. Where's the salmon? Where's the salmon? And let me change images here because this is Isaiah's Power Ranger, Red Ranger, and his name is Troy. But this is Power Ranger Jesus, right? And we tend to hold on to things that were once true, that were once good, right? And we hold on to them, and we hold on to them, and we hold on to them, even when that thing has moved on. So take our faith, for instance. Maybe you were in junior high school. Maybe you were in elementary. Maybe you were in college when you first came to faith, right? For me, I grew up in the church. And for me, following Jesus meant knowing all the answers in Sunday school, for instance, right? Who, who gave the Ten Commandments? Me, 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 me. I'd raise my hand. Me, Moses, Moses, Moses. Right? Actually, God gave the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Moses, the little boy. <laughs> but, if, but if that's uh, what my faith was, my faith, as I grew and matured, moved beyond that. I learned how to pray, right? I learned that it wasn't just about answers and knowing Bible facts. It was about Oh, when I'm having a hard time, I can pray to God, and he hears me, and he answers me, right? But even that gets stuck, right? I got stuck in, oh, God, give me money so I can buy my bicycle. Oh, God, give me this, so da 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 right? And my faith, once again, becomes stagnant in this object that was there at one point, but it's moved on. Because we tend to hold on to the thing and the object and not the relationship. We tend to hold on to the empty tomb, if you will, right? To the dead body of Christ, right? Christ crucified. We tend to hold on to that and say, where is he? Right? And we come to Troy. And Troy becomes my best friend, right? Have you seen the movie Castaway? Wilson, right? Castaway is a story Tom Hanks stars in Castaway. 2000, he was nominated for an Oscar in Castaway, and it's a FedEx employee who is in a plane, the plane crashes, and he washes up on a deserted island, and slowly the packages, the FedEx packages that were on the plane come adrift and uh, onto the beach, and he begins for many, many years to survive and use objects from um, the FedEx boxes that had washed ashore. And one of these objects was a volleyball a flat or a volleyball and he had cut his hand and it was bleeding and he was so mad that he grabbed that volleyball and threw it through the volleyball and so that it had a like blood palm mark on it and that's where you get the Wilson and he talked to this volleyball he interacted because he was alone for years and years and years on this island and this inanimate object became his best friend and the saddest part in the movie, and this is a movie spoiler, <laughs> is when he's, he's created this boat to get off the island, and he falls into the water, and Wilson falls in too, and begins drifting away. And they begin to se separate, separate, and Tom Hanks is like, Wilson! 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 And that deep sense of loss, 
right? And researchers at the University of Chicago said, have said there's actually science behind this. They did this experiment where people were lonely. They forced people to be lonely and isolated. And they say that these people tend to take inanimate objects and give them names and start talking to them. Or uh, people would take gadgets or laptops or computers and give them names, right? Because why? Because people are social creatures, right? People are social creatures. We're made for community. We're made for relationship. We're made for connecting. So when Tom Hanks' character is stuck on an island for five years, he's gonna love on a volleyball. Otherwise, he'll go insane, right? And I think we have that need and we have that desire. But sometimes the disconnect is we've made Jesus, we've made religion into religion. We've made Jesus that relationship, that dynamic relationship with a living God, a living Christ, into something that doesn't move, right? That's something that's a part of our own hands that we created. And we're like, power is your Jesus. I love you. Talk to me. I'm lonely. Talk to me. He is risen. He has risen indeed, right? And then I'll say popo, which means kiss in Korean. She'll go, mmm, mmm. And for a baby, that works, right? A baby wants security and comfort when they're sleeping in their crib or their bed. They need something to connect to. But we still do that, right? Whatever that object is, whether it's the need for to please people, whether it's the need to succeed, whether it's the need to create our resume and have status and prestige, right? Whether it's money, right? We go to money to fulfill things, right? Yes, money provides. Yes, we're, we have security, right? We even go to relationships with other people to find something, to fill something that isn't quite what we're looking for. And I contend we're looking for life. I contend there are so many dead things in our hearts, so many hopes dashed, so much despair, right? We're all struggling, and we're like, give me, give me, right? We're sucking out of choice, right? We're, we want intimacy, we want more, right? And choice just a plastic thing, just sitting there. of the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus, he, what did he say to his disciples? He prophesied, he predicted, I will suffer, I will die, I will rise, and I will ascend to be with my, the right hand of my Father, right? And I'll make all things new, right? That's taking a bunch of scriptures and putting it together, but that's basically what he said, right? Suffer, die, rise, be in heaven, renew all things, I'll come again. Right? And I think sometimes we get stuck, many of us, into suffering, right? Oh, woe is me, right? I need to sacrifice. I need to fast. I need to cut this off, gouge my eye out, right? Religious asceticism on steroids, right? Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. 
suffer, suffer, suffer. But that's not the whole gospel. We don't just suffer. We don't just do that for suffering's sake. Amen? We become gods of ourselves. We're saying that suffering becomes our idol, our choice. Come on! Do you see what I'm doing? Mommy! Suffer or die, right? We like we get fixated on the cross, right? You die, you die, you die to yourself. Die, die, right? You let that go. You cut that out. Die, die, die. <laughs> Preachers will preach the cross and preach shame. We'll try to shame people into believing, into into confessing and turning their life around. You can't. Uh, force people to believe through shame, right? I can say, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Die, sinner, sinner, sinner. God hates the sin. God hates all of you. Sin, 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 darkness and death. And shame you. Maybe some of you will be like, I give my life. Come on, David, baptize me right now. I want to follow Jesus. But really, that's us living out like some weird parenting kid thing, right? We feel guilty. We feel shame. And we're like, okay, die. But it's suffer, die, and rise. Anything else is denying the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the resurrection. Amen? Anything else is denying that God does this by his own might and his will. That the power to save is the initiation of Jesus Christ. And yet, we still cling to what was as if it were the only right thing. They say insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results, right? And if you've uh, been a person of addiction, addicted to um, what this culture says, bot is beautiful, or the body image, addicted to images and media, a portrayal of sexuality, of femininity, and masculinity. Um, if you've known any of that kind of stuff, you know that you will return to the same dry wells over and over and over and over again, even when you're sucking in dirt and it just feels like, like it there's, it ends up being crap, we still go back to it. That's the definition of insanity, expecting different results. But it's the same thing. We keep going back to Power Ranger, Power Ranger, Power Ranger. Love me, love me, love me. Give me meaning, give me purpose, right? But nothing is there. Um, in our passage, Jesus says to Mary, don't hold on to me, right? Don't hold on to me. Go instead and proclaim what you have seen. Go and tell people, right? Basically, Mary was the first person Jesus told to go preach the gospel. Here are some facts about the resurrection uh, tomb, some observations. Of the four gospels, in the four gospels, Mary Magdalene is the only human that appears in all four gospels uh, at the scene at the tomb, um, at the resurrection. Uh, she's the only eyewitness to both 
Jesus' death and to his resurrection. Also, uh, John is the only gospel where Mary goes out while it's dark. So we read that she goes out while it was still dark. All the other uh, gospels talk about that it was the dawn, it was just the beginning of the light. And, and you wonder why, like what's John doing? And a lot of people get stuck, I'll just say this for a little second, a lot of people get stuck on details like, oh, they contradict themselves. All the details are different in the gospel accounts, right? And that's because from our worldview and our perspective, accuracy and detail, right, the history of things is very important. To the writers back then, it wasn't that important, right? They're shaping the details and the facts in order to convey a certain uh, message, a distinct message. That's why there's, you wonder why there's four gospels? There's four gospels because there's different messages trying to, emphasis is trying to be communicated. So facts and chronology and details aren't that important in that culture. Secondly, when we talk about history and facts and details in our modern world, right, uh, in and of itself, there's no such thing as objective history, right? You can go back to all the uh, textbook controversies, right, in Asia and the United States. We tell the stories we want to tell. The dominant culture tells the stories it wants to tell. So even in displaying the facts, there's a bias. So anyways, that's the whole point to say it might look like there's different details and contradiction, but that's exactly what they're trying to do. So what is John trying to convey? What specifically is he trying to convey? All throughout John, you see this image of light and darkness, right? Light and darkness. In John 1, Jesus was the light. He came into the darkness. The darkness could not overcome it, right? Nicodemus came in the dark. Right? Jesus saying, I am the light. Um, so John is still working with this darkness and light. And so I imagine uh, with Mary coming in the dark, it represents doubt. It represents uh, almost death. Right? Like Jesus has died. The one that I loved is no longer. The one who raised up Lazarus, my brother, from the dead is dead himself. What does that do to her? She's in doubt. She's not sure but she's going to the tomb. Are you guys with me? Also, um, we, John relays that this uh, scene is in the garden. The tomb is in the garden because she thinks that when she first sees Jesus, that Jesus is a gardener himself. Um, so throughout John, there's garden imagery, right? Jesus is rested where? In Gethsemane, right? In the garden. Uh, he's resurrected in the garden. And in John uh, chapter 1, we see the imagery of creation, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So we're all taken all the way back in John to creation, creation and the garden. And so what I think that John is doing here is saying that in Jesus' resurrection, he's bringing new life, new creation. Just like God created the world, the heavens and the earth in Genesis, in this garden of Eden, right? And it's been messed up. God is in Jesus's resurrection and his victory over death and sin. He's bringing new life, right? A new, a new Eden, if you will, a new garden, a new creation and new life. And then the, the fourth thing that I want to point out is what finally wakes up Mary from her grief, right? What finally wakes up Mary from her grief? Because I think she's a person that's blinded by grief, right? She goes to the tomb, 
and she sees the angels, and the angels see that she's totally distracted, totally um, in dismay, and they say, why are you crying? And Jesus repeats the same thing. When she sees Jesus, he says, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And Mary even says, did you take his body away? Right? I can imagine her eyes are full if you've cried a lot. Right? You can't even see. Everything's blurry. Like, Jesus is gone. Right? Did you take... All logic is out the door. All rationale. Right? Did you take his body away? Just tell me where it is. I'll go get the body. Right? Mary alone is going to go get Jesus' dead body and bring it back. Right? She doesn't care. She just wants to be with the body. What she wants in the middle of her grief is closure. Right? Jesus has died, I need closure, and someone has taken his body. She, the, the whole idea and paradigm of the resurrection doesn't even hit her. Like, oh, oh yeah, Jesus was saying he was going to rise again. That didn't, like, enter her mind, right? She's still clinging uh, to the image of a dead Jesus. She's still seeking the dead body of Jesus, right? Where is this Jesus? So I can hug him, so I can weep so I can kiss him, anoint him, so I can do all of these things. But the thing that finally brings Mary back from her grief, right, and her sadness is Jesus speaking her name, Mary. And I think the true power of the resurrection uh, and the good news in Jesus' resurrection is that from it, from the darkness of death, comes the relational call. Mary. And folks, I think all of us have been in that season or that time where we light out, where we want to go to different places to go find ourselves, right? Or find God. And I think so. I was like that. I'm still like that a lot of times. I think when I go to the midlife crisis, I'm like, I want to get a red Porsche. Like travel the nation. Then I'm like, oh, I have two kids. I can't do it. Um, we want to find ourselves. We want to find God. And I think deep down inside in those seeking and that searching, we're trying to hear or figure out whether or not we're okay. Whether the world thinks we're okay with how we're thinking, our belief in God. Our convictions. Am I okay with who I am in this world? And Mary is seeking closure. She's seeking for meaning from among the dead, meaning in the darkness. But the reality is, the reality is, and we may go out seeking, and we will, we can find. But the reality is, God is seeking us. God is seeking you. God has been searching and hunting and seeking you out ever since you were in your mother's womb. He knew you. He created you. He fashioned you. He knows every nuance, every fragment, every, every, uh, what's the word? Awkward, like, quirk. There we go. Phil would say quirk. Uh, Every quirk. Uh, Puzzle man. Um, He knows everything. And he loves it. He created it. He receives it. He accepts it. Mary is seeking closure. God is the one who seeks us. 
He is the soul hunter. He is the life salvager. Jesus calls Mary's name out. He knows her. He loves her. God has known you your whole life. And we keep going after joy. Joy! Stick with me. <laughs> this has never been done in the history of Easter. Sit <laughs> with me. Have a picnic with me. Let's eat. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? What are you doing there? I'm going this way. Don't hold on to that. I'm, go, I'm going. I'm going back to my father. Right? Go and proclaim the good news. This is good news. Amen? Don't hold on to me. In the single calling of her name, her life changes. She hears her name in a familiar way. Suddenly, all the closed doors and detour signs and closed roads in her heart and the most private, intimate parts of her are suddenly touched by God's breath of life. And just as God breathed life, into mud and Eden to initiate humanity, Mary's sorrow, Mary's hope, hope deferred, Mary's pain, Mary's soul has had life breathed into it, right? Everything has meaning now because Jesus speaks her name. And yes, could it be true? He that was once dead is now alive again. Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. The tomb was empty. He was not there. Why do we linger? Why do we stay? Why do we seek, 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 seek for ourselves? God seeks us. God hunts us. God knows us. And we are most found and most alive when we understand and receive that we are known by him. Mary. We all have doubt. We all get a little confused along the way. We all wander lost, looking for Jesus in hard plastic toys. Power Ranger Jesus, please love me. Please don't leave me. Please give me some relief, a break from pain, a turn in the action, a light in the darkness, something good to hope in, a purpose worth living for, a burden lifted, economic chains shattered, we need huggers, huggers, huggers. We cling. But Jesus, living Jesus, risen Jesus, intimate Jesus, relational Jesus, powerful Jesus. Are you with me, church? Healing Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Great I Am, wonderful Savior, wise Counselor, mighty Jesus, able Jesus, the Jesus who loves all people. He that is that breaks every chain, sets the captives free, Cures the blind, connects the disconnected, empowers the voiceless, brings front and center the marginalized, assists the needy. This Jesus, my Jesus, is seeking you out, is seeking all of us out, calling your name, come saying, come, Mary, come, Nathan, come, Marsha, come. Now people are wondering, is he going to call my name? doesn't mean anything. I'll make up names. Come, Cecilia and Hiram and Mildred. Come. <laughs> Jesus is calling your name. Do you believe it? Jesus wants so much more for you, and yet we hang on. We hang on to things that aren't moving, that aren't going anywhere. 
Jesus has his arms spread out wide, wanting to clothe you with new life, wanting a deeper relationship with you, wanting to tell you he knows you, he's real, he's good, he's loving, follow him, trust him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Death is no longer, death no longer has its sting because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Does your heart not burn for him now? Burn for love? Burn for a new song? A new word? A new breeze to blow the darkness of death from out of your life? Don't hold on to Power Ranger Jesus. Don't hold on to who you thought Jesus to be. He is on the move. He's seeking a dynamic relationship with you. Don't hold on to objects as if they will give you love. They will give you life. They will give you a deep sense of fulfillment. They will love you back because they won't. Your money won't love you back. Your job won't love you back. Your gadgets won't love you back. Your epic gaming character won't love you back, Janice. The show hole, the show hole won't love you back. That's where you go, mm-hmm. <laughs> Prestige won't love you back. Status will never love you back, right? Letters won't love you back. Degrees won't love you back. Perfectionist order won't love you back. Food definitely won't love you back. Those images and pictures and videos won't love you back. Sex outside of marriage, sex even in marriage, won't love you back. Your wife will love you back. <laughs> Wait, I gotta redo that. It's Jesus who calls your name. Jesus who loves you. Jesus who knows you. Jesus who is telling you even now don't hold on to that. Let it go. Why are you crying? Go because I go before you. Go not where you were, but where you can be. Let go of death and chase after the life in me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for your love for us that the story and the good news is not what we can do for you and uh, what, yeah, just the measure of who we are, but it's the story of your love for us. And help us to live into that. Help us to receive that. Help us to go with you and move forward with you because you have risen and you are alive and you're real and you're calling us out, calling us to something larger than ourselves, to larger than... Um, the things that we've been holding on to, the paradigms that we've had, the objects that we've clung to for meaning and purpose, you're larger than that, and you are moving forward. And so, God, I pray that you'll give us the courage and the faith and the strength and the discernment and the wisdom to move forward with you, to hold your hand and walk. As you are mighty to save, you are Savior. You can move the mountains. You can turn nations with a whisper, you can lift up the dead and the needy from the ashes, and you can change even our lives. You can change um, the darkest parts of us 
and bring light into those places. You can make a garden spring up uh, from mud. And so we offer all of these things to you, believing that a part of our faith, um, the story of Christianity, of our faith is that you suffered, you died, and you you have risen for our sakes. In your name we pray. Amen.